is the Scottish Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm Kim McAllister. Hello. Dundee would be a very different place without Chris van der Kuyl. This week I spoke to the gaming entrepreneur who feels so passionately about his hometown that he turned his back on California's Silicon Valley and decided to help make the city of discovery truly that. I think the first thing I have to ask you about is Minecraft. It's the one thing that everybody knows uh, when tech can be a little bit inaccessible. So can you just tell me about Minecraft and, and how that all started for you and for 4G? Sure. I mean, Minecraft is one of these unusual things that's transcended uh, its genre. It's not just a video game really anymore. It's uh, For a lot of people, it's almost a way of life. It's something that's become as big as a toy like Lego. And really, a lot of people see it now as, as that as sort of digital Lego but it's, you know, as you've maybe heard, there's a movie in the works for Minecraft. There's actually a story mode game came out the other day. So it's it's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And as of that kind of phenomenon, 4G Studios, my my own company that I, I co-founded with Paddy Burns, we've been lucky enough to become the developer of the console editions of Minecraft. So we make Minecraft on Xbox 360, Xbox One, PlayStation 3, PlayStation 4 and PlayStation Vita. We were very well known as a Scottish developer for being very, very high quality and reliable in terms of uh, projects that had some real technical challenge to them. Um, so it was Microsoft that introduced us to the company in Sweden that invented Minecraft, a company called Mojang. And about five years ago now, we went up to see Mojang and had a great meeting with them where they realised that if they wanted to get Minecraft onto games consoles, they needed a company like us and asked us if we would do it. And we did it on the basis that we thought the game might sell, you know, one, if we're lucky, maybe two million copies. And it was pretty popular then, you know, so we thought, yeah, yeah, you know, it's got it's got a real chance of doing that. And I think on console alone now, we're, we're over 20 million copies and it's uh, still selling incredibly strongly, which in and of itself is a is a bizarre thing. I mean, normally video games, we get about six months of good sales out of video game and then it'll start to dwindle. But with this one, it just keeps going from strength to strength. And you were kind of instrumental in, in bringing it back up to the top of the charts with, with your development of it, weren't you? It's continued to sell fantastically on, on PC and mobile, which is versions that we don't make. But yeah, the, the console version has been phenomenal. I mean, it's not been out of the top 10 in the charts uh, globally for five years. And at various points, it continues to bounce back up to number one when we bring new versions out or new content. In fact, we're working on versions that haven't been announced yet. So we'll see some of those in the new year as well. So it's going to go even further, we think. That's fantastic. And you said yourself you didn't expect this kind of success. So how did that feel when you just kept seeing it grow and grow and grow? Partly a sense of disbelief, you know, to start with, you know, when it sold a million copies <laughs> in the first five days, it was on sale, which is a, a rate we'd never experienced before. And then we thought, yeah, well, it'll stop eventually. And then, you know, at five million, we thought, well, that's beyond the wildest dreams. Um, and then it got to 10 and then it just keeps doing it. So but there is there is this point where uh, nothing surprises us anymore but at the same time we keep having to pinch ourselves uh, to 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 realize that it's actually happened as well you know it's it's uh, it is quite unbelievable and unprecedented there's nothing else we know like it yeah it's quite a unique situation to be in has it opened other doors for 4g um well to be honest yeah i mean there's been a huge amount of interest in 4g uh, but minecraft is so massive that it's the only thing we work on we don't have any capacity to work on anything else gosh <laughs> That's a nice problem to have. It's a fantastic problem to have. So what were you doing before Minecraft and were there others sort of in the running as it were or was it very much a kind of partnership that you helped to create? 
Well, we we'd been we'd been developing a, a whole series of games most recently for Microsoft. So we did a whole bunch of what we'd call retro games, things like Banjo Kazooie and Perfect Dark, which were huge games on the Nintendo format that Microsoft wanted to bring to Xbox. So we'd been working on all sorts of games like that and been in the games industry since the mid-1990s. So, you know, countless different games. And then the Minecraft opportunity came up and, you know, we've never looked back. Fantastic. Now, I love the name of your 4G studios. Can you just talk to us about where the 4Js came from? Sure. Well, Dundee, as I was growing up, was always known as the city of the 3Js, jute, jam and journalism, you know, for the the jute industry, the marmalade and jam industry with Keelers and then DC Thompson's, who still exist in the journalism industry. So we thought we would add the fourth J, which is joysticks, because Dundee is now globally renowned as a great centre for video games development. I love it. I love that 4G studios. It's fantastic. And you're obviously very instrumental in making Dundee so popular and such a centre of excellence. You're involved with university. What's the most important part about that for you? When we started out in the mid-90s, we realised quite quickly those two or three companies doing quite well and getting quite big at the time that our only barrier to growth was finding talented people. It probably wasn't the first place that people who'd graduated with the right kind of skills that we needed would think about moving to, Dundee wouldn't be top of the list. So we thought, right, we need to create a real talent pool here and an environment which is going to be really attractive to people. So we approached University of Aberdeen, who were a pretty new university at the time, and they really went out on a limb, I suppose, and decided that they were going to have a, the world's first sort of undergraduate computing degree in computer games and called it a computer games we didn't sort of hide behind something that sounded a bit more academic, you know, because a lot of universities at the time were a bit sniffy about, you know, games. Why why would anybody study study that? But it's turned out to be an enormous thing for them. I probably the thing as a university that they're most famous for. And it's something you know, as an industry, we've you know, it's been very symbiotic as they've brought better people through, we've been able to grow our companies more. And we've been able to help them more and you know, and on and on it goes. In fact, today we've got the UK government has a parliamentary committee on uh, creative industries and which covers video games. And it's actually meeting in Dundee today at the University of Aberdeen to take evidence about how the UK government can do more for the video games industry. And there's just been this huge injection, four million pounds worth of cash. That must be good news as well. Yeah, again, Paul Durant, who was the guy who really did all the commercial spin-outs and ventures like Dare to be Digital at University of Aberdeen. You know, he's, after a long career at Aberdeen, has spun out on his own and he's been backed by the UK government to set up this community interest company which will act on behalf of the British video games industry and help fund new prototypes and new talent. And inevitably, with it being based in Dundee, I'm sure that will attract even more talent here as well. You're Dundee born and bred, so you've kind of helped to bring the city to the fore. I mean, how important has that been to you, the fact that it's your hometown? Yeah, I I think it's very important. I've lived here all my life. I went to university in Edinburgh for a few years, but then moved back again. And it was one of those things. I, I, I had opportunities when I was quite young to go out and see Silicon Valley and, and experience what the world had to offer somebody who was going to be a technologist and you know a technology entrepreneur. And it may have been the easiest path for me to head out to the valley and build a career there. But I had this sort of bloody mindedness that I really loved Dundee and I loved the community that I was part of. So why couldn't I do it here? So that's been something that's been a driving force throughout my career. And I, and I think, you know, now sort of 20 plus years later is feels a bit vindicated. We do have an incredibly strong, thriving 
technology community, the environment of Dundee with projects like the V&A Design Museum opening in Dundee in the next couple of years have really put Dundee on the map as a cultural destination and a creative industries destination, as well as just uh, somewhere to make games. So did you always know that you wanted to set up your own business? Um, probably not always. You know, I didn't have many people in my in my family or in my peer group uh, close to me that were in business, so I didn't really know what it would take to build a business. And it wasn't until I did Young Enterprise as, I, as a fifth year I, at high school that I kind of had my eyes open to the fact that business was something anyone could do. And actually all it took was a bit of common sense and determination and you could you could build a business. And I suppose from that point, it was embedded in my brain that I, I really would prefer to do that rather than work for anybody. And, you know, I did intern jobs and, you know, tried a few things, but I knew pretty quickly that I really wanted to build my own business. And, and that's all I've ever done. Did you find it easy? No, no, it's, uh, I find it hugely enjoyable, but at the same time, I, it's, it's not easy. It's never easy. You know, anybody that kind of tells you their journey and their story and, and everything just worked perfectly is probably, uh, let's just say, polishing the truth slightly. Because I don't, I don't think anyone sets out with a strategy that's perfect. And one of the tricks of the trade as an entrepreneur you learn early on is, uh, is being very dynamic and moving you know, your tactics and your strategy pretty much on a daily basis to suit a changing environment. Was there a final goal that always stuck with you as much as you changed other things? No, I don't, I don't think, and, and still to this day, there's not a winning line in my head that says, yeah, that's it, I've done it. I can now, I don't know, pack my bags and go and do something else. I I'm kind of feel as an entrepreneur, I, I am and always will be an entrepreneur. I'm, I may change the things that I focus on. I've always got... I've always got some kind of short-term goals going on, you know, over the next 12 months or something, and maybe mid to long-term things that I'd like to head towards. But as I say, sometimes you'll course correct those because, you know, things I think will be where I want to be in five years, I don't think that's ever worked. So if I say today, which I do, all right, in five years' time, this looks like a shape of things I'd like to be involved in or, you know, whatever, I'll start moving towards it. But in moving towards it, uh, the goal will change. Um, so short-term goals are normally achievable and things that you can you can, you will manage to hit but medium and long-term goals I think are always moving targets and always should be. Who supported you along the way? Well you know a huge 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 number of people it starts with family um, you know, family and friends and you know there, there are times when people can doubt you and doubt your sanity and sort of say look you know is this a sensible thing I, and it's always been good at, you know my parents were always fantastic at saying yeah you know you want to do something you know the only thing stopping you doing it is you uh, you know there's nothing you know there's nothing that will be out with your uh, reach you know if you put your mind to it and coming from that kind of support within the family uh, gives you a pretty good place to build confidence from and you know and uh, I know that other people have overcome uh, a lot of doubters around them and some people find that that drives them and certainly you know there, there's always an element of that whether it be the media or you know, people around you in some ways. There's always people who will think, you know, this is crazy. There's no way you can do this because I've never seen anybody do it before. So it's always nice to have somebody and have a support mechanism that, that really does support you. The biggest eye-opener for me was when that started to happen within Scotland's entrepreneurial and business community. Because, yeah, it's all well and good, your mum and dad believing you're the greatest thing since sliced bread and you can do anything and you would hope that they would. But when people like, uh, you know, I don't know with me, Sir Angus Grossop or Sir Tom Hunter, you know, Jim McCall, these guys actually started listening to my story and going, that's amazing. Of course you can. Why don't you do it in an even bigger way? 
and what's stopping you from making it even bigger. They were moments in my life when, you know, I thought, well, okay, well, actually, if they think I can really do it, then, you know, they know more than I do about business. I must be able to do it. And I think that level of encouragement and peer support is something that makes the Scottish entrepreneurial ecosystem quite special. You're the chairman of Entrepreneurial Scotland. Has that been important to you in your own personal journey as well as, as a role? Yeah, sure. I mean, I mean, Entrepreneurial Scotland came together a, a, year, a year ago now by the bringing together of the Entrepreneurial Exchange, which was the, the peer support network for entrepreneurs, and the Saltire Foundation, which is the sort of philanthropic foundation focused on building the next generation of entrepreneurial talent. And both organisations were huge for me. I mean, from, uh, I think, 1997 or 98, when I first got involved in Entrepreneurial Exchange, that's where I met most of the people that became very important to me in terms of support and, and mentorship as an entrepreneur, and then gave me a platform to find and get introduced to even more people, both entrepreneurs, but also the entrepreneurial people inside big companies, inside banks, inside government organizations who would go and help, uh, you know, help me achieve the goals that I wanted to achieve. And then with Saltire Foundation, we've had an enormous amount of amazing new talent that we've been able to bring into our businesses. And, and that entrepreneurial talent, some of it's come into our businesses and then gone off to do its own thing. And some of those people have stayed within businesses. You know, so it's actually realizing that you know, entrepreneurship isn't just about setting new businesses up. It's, it's coming into existing businesses or existing organizations and bringing that entrepreneurial mindset to bear. So those two organizations were huge. And then when the opportunity came to help bring those two together and become chairman of the combined uh, organization, it was a huge honor to be, uh, you know, to be part of that and to be able to do that. And I think our goal and our mission to, to make sure Scotland becomes the most entrepreneurial country in the world is something I think we can achieve and if Scotland's rugby performance from from yesterday has anything, any lessons to teach us, it's that entrepreneurial spirit is uh, is alive and well in Scotland and thriving even in, on the sporting field. Oh, we were so close, weren't we? It was uh, it was it was wonderful and terrible to watch. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, it was a t- it was a terrible outcome, but but I didn't feel terrible with it. I actually came out feeling inspired that that team of people with a great entrepreneurial leader and Vernon Cotter have found a different way to play rugby, which which will be incredibly successful for them, and um, albeit with lumps and bumps along the way, and yesterday was certainly one of them. You've spoken a bit about your roles with your company and with Entrepreneurial Scotland. Was there ever a point where you thought, I'm not sure I can do this anymore, I'm going to have to think about doing something else? No, no, I've, I've, I've had some pretty challenging moments, but coming out the back of any of them, those, you know, I mean, people, people in my family at times, you know, when... When our first company, Viz, we sold it and then and then the company that bought it effectively went bust and we were still working in the business at the time. So so we ended up without a job, many of us, the, the next day. There were some people in my family at that point said, maybe you should get a job. You know, maybe you should go and work for a, for a big company now. You know, you've kind of, not quite you've had your fun, but, you know, it's, it's maybe time to think about a, a proper job almost was the implication. And that was just laughable to me, you know, because, you know, what what I do in life is, is I'm an entrepreneur. I look at opportunities in business um, but I look at opportunities in other places as well you know within public service or whatever and I try and apply an entrepreneurial brain to that which always includes taking risks doing things differently I would never preclude and say I'll never ever work within a big organization you know I worked for a number of years with the aforementioned uh, DC Thompson as my main investor helping them build 
entrepreneurial businesses um, inside their group. So technically, I suppose you'd say that I was in some way employed by them, but but I never felt that way. You know, I felt the same as a business that I owned completely myself. I approached it as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, and it was, you know, and I lived or died by the success of that business, not whether somebody paid my wages at the end of the month. And that's really the attitude that I think I'll always have. And has there ever been a moment where you've thought, whoa, I'll never do it that way again? Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, lots. Uh, lots. <laughs> I mean, that, that's, a, that's a pretty regular comes for an entrepreneur. You know, by definition, we do take risks and those risks very often don't pay off. But what they normally do is inform the next decision or the next version of that. What I've found is the entrepreneurial make decisions and get on with it and then course correct dependent on the outcome of those decisions. People that aren't entrepreneurial sit frozen, unable to ever make a decision, and therefore they just, the same thing that's always happened to them will continue to happen to them or to the organisation that they're part of. And if that's a modicum of success, they'll continue with a modicum of success. If it's a declining business, it'll continue to decline. You only really make things radically different by, by making strong decisions to radically change things. You know, I mean, a lot of people labour under the misapprehension that if they keep their head down for long enough, things will, will work out in the end. They generally don't. Things only work out if you grab hold of them and, and make positive changes to, to improve them. And some of those changes won't be the right ones. So almost it's as important a skill to recognise when you've made a bad decision or a wrong decision, change it and try again. And you have children, is that right? Yep, I've got three children. They're 10, 8 and 7. Right. So what are you teaching them? I think the, the most important thing to try and teach them is to really enjoy what you do. You know, sometimes some things you, you will be learning or will be doing will, will not seem relevant or seem boring or whatever. It's then important to try and understand the context of that. You know, why do I need to do really tough maths? Well, if you enjoy writing computer software or, or being part of technology, maths is a backbone so you need to start to understand the link between that and then suddenly it becomes quite enjoyable because you you see the, the reason to do it but I do see and not only to my own children but to any young people I talk to the crass way to say it is sort of follow your dream but the the, the real way to say it is you know whatever you choose to do make sure you're passionate about it because you know the best doctors lawyers and accountants are the ones that really love being doctors lawyers and accountants the worst ones are the ones that are doing it because they've got great exam results you know, and, and we've all met those people along the way. So, you know, I really absolutely encourage people, if, if you don't feel really strongly and passionately about something, you know, don't continue to do it. You might want to try it. You might go into something, I don't know if I like this or not. So go and try it. Try everything once, you know, try it, you know, and try it again. If you thought, well, I didn't quite like that. Maybe a different way of approaching it will be fun for me. But if you do it for long enough and really apply yourself and you still think, do you know what? I hate this. I really do not like this. Then change, change immediately. Because, you know, it's that whole thing. You've only got one life. And if you spend it for 20 or 30 years thinking you're doing the right thing by clinging on to a career that will get you material returns, you'll end up a pretty unhappy person. Do you think there's opportunity for your children? Do you think that Scotland's changing? You're, you're talking about the mission statement for Entrepreneurial Scotland of making us the most entrepreneurial society in the world. Do you think that will happen for them when they come to work? Yeah, I, I do. I mean, I think I think we're already a fantastically entrepreneurial society. Um, in some ways, we we spent a lot of time not really realising it or not recognising the people that were entrepreneurial um, as being positive role models. You know, 
they were almost seen as the, the mavericks. So, you know, oh no, don't really talk about her because she does things a bit differently. Yeah, it kind of works, but we just keep her in a cupboard and bring her out, you know, at Christmas parties type of thing. So I think that's changed already. I think with great role models out there, people are realising that they do need to take the bull by the horns, make decisions, and that sometimes if things go wrong, you know, that won't be the end of their career. That'll be recognised as, well, that was a brave thing to do. What have you learned from it and how do you move on? So I think our society has already changed and it's Entrepreneurial Scotland's uh, mission to try and make that even more apparent and even more so. So if we do reach this goal, which I believe we will have been the most entrepreneurial society in the world, when our children come into a world of work or come into the transition between their formal education and what they do next, the boundaries will be blurred. You know, it'll be a case of, well, you don't actually need to come out of anything. You know, just go do, you know, go and do whatever it is you feel like. You know, if you want to do it while you're at school, do it while you're at school. But I, I think that's an interesting thing as well when you talk about education. It's my belief that in this society, in this time that we live in, no one can ever stop learning. You know, we, we live in, in probably, the, you know, in the period of the fastest change in history any of us has ever lived through, and it'll never be this slow again. So if that definition is right, we've got to keep learning, only, if only to keep up. So I think you'll start to see boundaries blurring between school and further education and higher education and the world of work and people have an entrepreneurial burst of energy and do something for a while and then go and learn something new and go and do it again. And I think that's really exciting because the kind of structures that maybe we grew up in and certainly our parents and grandparents grew up in, I think they've gone. You know, that whole idea of you go into a very structured education system, pop out the other side, oven ready for a job that you then do for the rest of your life until you hit a magic number, which is maybe 65, and then you do something else for the rest of your life that doesn't involve earning money, um, that's weird to me. That's really weird. And, and to be honest, people should just do what it is they feel like doing in the moment. So if they want to stop earning in a way and give something back or go and take time out to do it, do that when you're 30. Don't wait till you're 70 to do that. And then at the same time, if you're in your 70s and you love being entrepreneurial and you love being part of a business, you should be doing that. You shouldn't be sitting learning to play golf when you hate it. You know, those kind of bizarre stereotypes that still pepper our society, I think, are getting blown away. I think there's a new generation coming out saying, no, that's not me. I'm going to make decisions. You know, if I, you know, I've had people in my organizations that decided to do things like join the Navy at 30 because it was always something that they felt like doing. And rather than tell them they were crazy um, and they were, you know, they were giving up the biggest opportunity in their life, I encouraged them to do it. And in fact, the person that did that, then after an amazing, challenging career of five to ten years in the Navy, came back out and has become a fantastically entrepreneurial individual back in the technology world again. So I just think the world's changed and people that are clinging on to old mechanisms of how things should be done need to wake up. And I think Scotland as a society needs to embrace this new world and become excellent at building structures to let people live in that world. I think that sounds really exciting and I totally agree. I don't think there's any place for this job for life nonsense anymore unless you're particularly specialised in a particular industry. But no, I think that is exciting. I think that's an exciting message to give to younger people as well that you can do anything and you can go anywhere. And, and you, when you travel, do you see people looking at Scotland and thinking, oh, what's, what's going on over there? Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think there's been a number of fantastic observations on Scotland from around the globe and we're starting to see people like you know Silicon Valley starting to take notice of companies like Skyscanner 
and FanDuel, as well as companies like 4G and Rockstar North, who make Grand Theft Auto in Edinburgh. You know, we've got some of the biggest and best technology companies in the world uh, starting to flourish out of Scotland. So people have taken notice. The question is, over the next 10 or 20 years, can we grow those into businesses of the size of, you know, I don't know, Microsoft or Facebook or, or Apple? I hope we can. I hope so too, and it doesn't sound like there's anything to stop us. For more inspiring entrepreneurial stories, go to sbnn.co.uk forward slash entrepreneur.